I think all of us can acknowledge that for the last couple of years, a few things fell apart. Amen? And so the gospel that builds the city of Jerusalem back from a heap of rubble builds broken people and broken cities and broken families and puts us back together again. We are living stones in a new temple. We are the people of God. And so we give our attention to the reading of God's word, Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll be reading the entirety of the chapter. This is God's word. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, uh, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Petholiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night in light for them the way to light the, for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water out of the rock for their thirst. 
And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of the heaven. And you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them, in, gave, into, gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, They were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven, and according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. 
And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them. Or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that, all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and, amidst, and amid your great goodness, that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves to this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercy, which is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. We pray in the name of Jesus and in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. This week I read a prayer, a prayer that is known as the prayer of an anonymous abbess. Now, an abbess is a nun, specifically a nun who is in charge of a, of a whole convent of nuns. I'm not sure the origin of this, this prayer, since it is anonymous, but it was first uh, brought to light by a German writer who wrote children's stories, and here it is. Here's the prayer. She prays, Lord, thou knowest better than myself that I am growing older and will soon be old. Keep me from becoming too talkative, and especially from the unfortunate habit of thinking that I must say something on every subject and on every opportunity. Release me from the idea that I must straighten out other people's affairs. With my immense treasure of experience and wisdom, it seems a pity to not let everyone partake of it. But thou knowest, Lord, that in the end, I will need a few friends. <laughs> Keep me from the recital of endless details. Give me wings to get to the point. 
Grant me patience to listen to the complaints of others. Help me to endure them with charity. But seal my lips on my own aches and pains. They increase with the increasing years, and my inclination to recount them is also increasing. I will not ask thee for improved memory, only for a little more humility and less self-assurance when my own memory doesn't agree with that of others. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be wrong. Keep me reasonably gentle. I do not have the ambition to become a saint. It is so hard to live with some of them. But a harsh old person is one of the devil's masterpieces. Make me sympathetic without being sentimental. Helpful but not bossy. Let me discover merits where I had not expected them. And talents in people whom I had not thought to possess any. And Lord, grant me the grace to tell them so. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I love how real that prayer is. Just so beautiful, so simple, so profound. In fact, I'm going to incorporate three items from this prayer into my own life. The first is, give me wings to get to the point. I know you all pray, for that, pray that for me every week. Lord, give him wings to get to the point. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be wrong. It happens. Give me the grace to tell them so. It's one thing to see the good in people, to appreciate their gifts and talents and abilities. It's another thing to tell them so. I think that this world needs encouragers. I think the church needs encouragers. This week I've been reading the book of Acts, and one of my favorite characters in the book of Acts is Barnabas, whose name means literally son of encouragement. I think that Barnabas might be one of the unsung heroes in the book. This morning we're going to talk about prayer, how to pray open, honest, authentic, life-changing prayers, the kind of prayers that make us more like Jesus. Now, throughout this series, I've noted that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. In fact, I think that that's one of the secrets of his greatness. Nehemiah was always praying. Some of us, if we're honest, pray as a last resort, but Nehemiah prayed as a first resort. He was always going to God in prayer. In fact, there are nine prayers in the book of Nehemiah, and this prayer is the longest of those prayers. In fact, this is the longest book prayer in the Old Testament outside of Psalm 119 in the book of Psalms. Now, we think that Ezra probably prayed this prayer as a pastoral prayer. He prayed it out loud on behalf of the people, though the text is somewhat ambiguous on that point. But to me, the question is, how do we learn to pray like Ezra and Nehemiah and the Israelites prayed. How do we learn to pray like Jesus prayed? 
How do we pray down heaven? How do we confess our sins? How do we move beyond the the cliches and and the checklists? How do we touch the heart of God? If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. We're going to look at three ways to pray real prayers. Three ways that the Israelites prayed this very real prayer, and three ways that we can pray real prayers as well. First, if we want to pray real prayers, we have to get real about our Father. Second, we have to get real about our failures. And third, we have to get real about our forgiveness. Prayer will change your life if you pray real prayers, biblical prayers, humble prayers, prayers that glorify the God who saved us by grace through faith in Jesus. How do we do that? Let's take a closer look. Our first big idea, we have to get real about the Father. When we pray, we have to get real about the Father. Verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone. When we pray, it's helpful to begin our prayers with prayers of adoration. A number of years ago, my good friend Jeff McDowell, who was a pastor at First Presbyterian Church, he was our middle school director, uh, taught me to pray ACTS prayers, A-C-T-S, and it goes like this, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term supplication, it's kind of a big word, a Bible-y word, that just means your, your requests. When you say, Lord, I'm sick, help me to feel well. Lord, I've got a big test, help me to do well. Lord, I, I pray for our brothers and sisters in Uganda. Those are supplications that we make to the Lord. Now, many of us, when we pray, begin with supplications, and we end with supplications, and we never get to the adoration or the confession or the thanksgiving. That's why that ACTS acronym is so helpful. When you start with adoration, you're starting your prayer where it should begin, with the glory of God. Now, is that, is that hard for you? I will confess that it is sometimes hard for me to pray the glory of God. Now, I know all about God. I know about his attributes. He is omnipotent and omnipresent. He's a God of justice and mercy. But often, when I'm praying prayers of adoration, I say, oh, Lord God, you are amazing and powerful and mighty and Wow! And I don't really know what else to say. But look at what the Israelites did. The Israelites took this sort of abstract theories and theological truths about who God was, and they rooted them in concrete historical realities. They didn't merely say, Oh, Lord God, you are mighty. They said, Lord God, here is how you displayed your power. 
Here is how you displayed your might. Who is God? Who is the God we adore? Who is God our Father? Well, according to this prayer, He is a world maker. He created the heavens and the earth, which means He is brilliant. DNA was God's idea. And all of the creatures in the sea were created by our living God. The laws of gravity were created by God. And physics and calculus and the human heart which beats while we're asleep. All the glory of God. God created us in his image and likeness, which means that every single human being has value and dignity and worth as an image bearer of God. It means as image bearers of God that we are creative, that we can write music and poetry, that we can sing songs and tell jokes. This is the God who created us. But not only is God a world creator, our God is a name changer. He took Abram and he changed his name to Abraham. The great father, Abraham, became the father of many nations. The father of a multitude. He gave him a new name and a new identity. And he gives us new names and new identities. Your old name was slave. Your new name is son and daughter. Your old name was victim. Your new name is victor. You are a child of the living God. A Christian. Someone who bears the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord our God takes broken people and he puts them back together again. Our God is a promise maker. God always keeps his promises. He told Adam and Eve about Christmas thousands of years before it even happened. Thousands of years before Jesus was born. The prophets proclaimed that Jesus would be born the son of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And they kept telling that story time and time again until the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Our God keeps his promises. He is faithful. Our God is a chain breaker he set Israel free from slavery in Egypt. And through Jesus, he sets us free from our slavery to sin and death, to guilt and shame. He sets us free to worship him, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He leads us through the wilderness. He gives us bread from heaven and water from the, from the rock. Our God is great. Our God is good. Our God is majestic. Our God is merciful. Our God is our Father. And we are His children. The whole history of Israel is a history of God's faithfulness. The whole history of Israel is a history of a God who never gives up on his people. And so Ezra and Nehemiah and the Israelites and the Levites began with adoration. 
When you pray, get real about your Father. Acknowledge His greatness. Remember what He did for the people of Israel. And then look back on your own life and see what God has done for you. The second big idea this morning is we have to not only, uh, we have to also get real about our failures. So we get real about our Father, His greatness. We also have to get real about our failures. Verse 2, And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. If we want to get real with God, we have to get real about our sin. That's the C in our ACTS uh, acronym for prayer, confession. And it makes sense because you never really see how dirty your room is until you turn on the light. If you were to walk into your room and look around and say, oh, it looks pretty good in here. Then you turn on the light and whoo, you look and say, it's not so good. That's why only evil people put fluorescent lights above the bathroom mirror. Amen? Amen. That fluorescent light hides nothing. If you're 30, it'll make you look 50. If you're 50, it'll look, make you look like 150, like you're not even alive. Now, a couple observations about this prayer of confession. First, the Israelites confessed their sin individually. They said, we have sinned. We have embraced the world's values. We have neglected God's values. We have broken the Ten Commandments. We have ignored hurting people. We have been selfish and arrogant. We are liars. We are adulterers. We are murderers. You name it, we have done it. They didn't make any excuses. They didn't say, well, Lord, we did commit some sins and we did make some mistakes, but you have to consider the circumstances here. We were slaves in Egypt and our families were broken and we didn't know if you would be faithful. And Moses, we weren't sure if we could trust him. No, they confessed their sin. They didn't try to make bargains with God as many of us do. Lord God, if you just forgive this sin, I promise from here on out, I will read the Bible every day and I will come to church every week and I will give faithfully and I will help with the Thanksgiving meal and, and I will do these things to earn your favor. No bargaining. They didn't try to shift the blame to other people. They didn't say, yes, we have sinned. But remember, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab from the first eight chapters? We're nothing like those guys. They were much, much worse than we are. They're the real sinners, if you ask me. No. They simply said, verse 33, You, God, have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Confession is hard, but you'll never get real with God until you get real about your sin. But they didn't stop there. The second thing that we see about this prayer is that they also confessed their father's sins. Here's one example of that from verse 26. They, they pray, nevertheless, they, our ancestors, were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. 
if we want to be real with God, we have to be real about the sins that we have committed as a nation and as a church. We have to confess the sins that Christians have committed over the years. We can't just gloss over our sins. We can't simply say, well, it's, it's not really a big deal. We can't say, well, I didn't do it. That wasn't me. Or that was a long time ago. Slavery was a long time ago. And Jim Crow was a long time ago. And the Trail of Tears was a long time ago. And Roe versus Wade was a long time ago. And I have no part of this. How long ago was the making of the golden calf? And yet here it is in the prayer that they are confessing on behalf of their people. In many ways, our own spiritual fathers and mothers, people who should have known better, betrayed God by uncritically accepting the value system of our world. And someday, our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will have to repent for the ways that we betray God by uncritically accepting the values of our culture. Part of being real with God is being real about our failures. Part of being real with God is about confessing our sins. Third big idea in order to get real in prayer, we have to get real about God's forgiveness. Verse 17, but you are a God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. Verse 28, Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Verse 31, Nevertheless, in your great mercies you did not make an end to them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. The bad news that this text confronts us with this morning is that we are sinners. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds by sins that we have committed in violating God's law and sins that we have committed in failing to live up to the perfect standard of God's law, loving God with our heart, loving our neighbors as ourself. The good news is that God forgives he forgave the israelites over and over and over again and he forgives us over and over and over again he forgives our past sins he forgives our present sins the sins that you are struggling with today he forgives he forgives the future sins that you will commit He's faithful and just and merciful. God's grace changes the way that we pray. Because on the cross, 
Jesus took our sins on, our, on his shoulders and said, it is finished. If you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. When we come to God in prayer, we don't come as beggars. We don't come as orphans. We don't come as employees. We don't come as slaves, fearful of what God will say, uncertain of what God will do. We come as children of the living God. People who have been loved and forgiven and accepted and adopted because of Jesus. When God writes your story, even if there's sin on every single page, the last sentence, the last word of the last chapter is always grace for everyone who believes. Meister Eckhart once wrote, If the only prayer you ever said was thank you, that would be enough. This week as we approach Thanksgiving, let me encourage you to be real. Be real about your Father. Your Heavenly Father is great and mighty and good. He has been so faithful to you. Be real about your failures. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And if you don't believe me, just wait till Thanksgiving. Uh, You will sin against somebody on Thanksgiving Day around your table. And uh, your Uncle Cletus will sin against you. We're not sure who invited that guy, but he's going to tell you something that's going to be sinful against you. You know it's true. Be real about your forgiveness. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. We cannot outsin his mercy. We cannot outsin his love. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. Do you know what John Calvin called this meal? We call it the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. He called it the Eucharist. The Eucharist comes from a Greek word, eucharisto, which means thanksgiving. This is a thanksgiving meal where we remember God's grace. We have so much to be thankful for. God has blessed our families. God has blessed our church. God has blessed our nation and our world. God has forgiven our sins through Jesus who adopts us into the family of God. God is great. And God is good. Let's go to him now in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy. We come to you acknowledging your glorious goodness. We come to you confessing the wretchedness of our sin. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. But not only that, but that you would change our hearts and change our minds that we might be made new by the power of your Spirit. Give us your Spirit that we might love you as we should, that we might love others. And as we we celebrate this week Thanksgiving feasts with our families, we pray that we would remember the outsider, 
that we would remember the orphan and the widow, that we would remember the homeless, that we would remember the afflicted and the sick and the abused. Oh, Lord God, may they have spiritually and physically a place at our table, just as you have invited us to your table through Jesus. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.